father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Boom! Here comes the... Boom! Ready or not, ha-ha, how you like me now? It's What's Lightsaber's Precious. The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast where waste time on fictional wikis, boy! I'm Ryan. And I'm Sleepy. Yeah, you just got up from a four-hour nap. Yep, and I'm very sleepy. We went to Chicago over the weekend and saw Hamilton. We did. We're not throwing away our podcast because we're going to be putting an episode a little late today. Ooh, this weekend. Yeah. That was well done. Thank you. I'm impressed. Yeah. You are the next Weird Al. Truly. Who we also saw, because we are just that white. Yep. Several weeks ago. But enough of our theater experiences. Mm, we are travels. indeed such, such mm, cultural estates. Uh, we well, to spend some time at the theater, taking in the finer arts of the performing arts. Improving on the... our minds, rising above the quotidian rabble. Watching the actors tread the boards and performing the stylings of one Lin-Manuel Miranda. And the poet laureate of our time, we're Alfred Yankovic. But enough about that. Yes. Yes, because we have important things to talk about today. Yep, I bet we do. Do you have any Lord of the Rings news? I actually don't have... Okay, I don't have that important thing to talk about today. Okay. But, no, I don't have any Lord of the Rings news. I did look it up, but mm, it's been pretty quiet on that front this past fortnight. What about you? Uh, I don't have anything either, but if you're in the Detroit metro area and you happen to make your way over to the Detroit Institute of Art Ah. soon, they have the Star Wars Costumes Exhibit... Where they have uh, 60 different costumes from the Star Wars movies on display with some descriptions and notes and concept art. And it looks very cool. And I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to soon. So if you're in the area, go, go see it before I do. And then tell me if it's good. I know we have some people here who are living in the Detroit area. And our parents who might live in the area. Mom, go see the exhibit! Directly talking to you, Vicky. Maybe you'll see, you know, a costume from your favorite character, Grandma Tarkin. They have Grandma Tarkin's moo-moos and her her, <laughs> her her fuzzy slippers. Yep, her little quilted bathrobe. And, and her, her woolen shawl. And uh, her little plastic rain hat that she wears when Gra- it's drizzly. Grandma Tarkin's imperial walker. It's like literally like a walker. Her with tennis balls on the, on the legs. Yeah, that's Grandma Tarkin. Go Gra- see it. Go they see have gr- all of it. Go see Grandma Tarkin. All right. What do you really have planned for me today? Well, Ryan, what I have planned for you today is men part three. Three fast, three furious, three manliest. Yeah, so as you hopefully remember, we are really far into the second age now. Like, really far. And Numenor, a glorious island kingdom that men ruled over for 3,000 plus years, has just sunk into the sea because the commandment that men never set foot in Valinor was violated. Oh, bummer. Specifically, the gosh darn stupid idiot king of Numenor, Arpharazan, decided it would be super cool to attack Valinor with an army, and the Valar were like, hey cool, you wanna walk on Forbidden Land? Your land's at the bottom of the ocean now, late! Yes, Numenor did sank. And virtually all of the Numenorians are dead. Now, in the world of Middle-earth... Yes. Was this something like uh, Numenor truthers who were like, Numenor never existed. You're making it up to prop up your claims to the throne. Mm, 
that's probably something that Sauron told the orcs at one point. Sauron would be a truther, wouldn't he's he? He's such a, he's loose change. My gosh. He thinks it was, you know, a false flag. False. No, no, it was a false flag, false man. False flag operation. It was a controlled sinking. It was a control. Yeah, <laughs> the government sank Numenor to distract from all its ties with wealthy oil barons in other countries. Numenor did Numen Eleven. Numen, Numen Eleven. Yeah, that's exactly what he was saying. Numenor Gate. But as you may remember, Aragorn is said to have the blood of Numenor in his veins, mm-hmm. despite the fact that all the Numenorians are dead. Yeah. So how is that possible? Well, for the answer, we need to talk about a guy called Ellen Deal. What's the Ellen Deal with Ellen Deal? Well, the Ellen Deal with Ellen Deal is that, first of all, his name means lover of stars and Cinderin. So you literally could not have a more elvish name. So he was obviously one of the faithful. Remember that? The faithful are the ones who stayed true to the old ways and the Valar and followed sort of old elvish customs. Sure. And, uh, so he was one of the faithful, a Numenorian, who stayed right. Even when the kings of Numenor started to get all like, this is our country, mannish pride, mannish pride. In fact, Elendil's family was so faithful that Elendil's dad, Amundil, tried to sail to Valinor and warn the Valar that our Farazan was coming with his army, which is like, nice of him? Except also, he was a man, and he also wasn't allowed to set foot in Valinor, so I'm not really sure how he was planning on accomplishing this. Elendil, yeah, your family, you elves, are you mad? We want easy, race trader. I'm pretty sure that's exactly how they felt about him, and... You going to warn them pioneer folks about us coming? Oh, and... No, no human pride! Well, as things stood, he wasn't going to warn anyone, but his heart was in the right place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as Amandil raced toward Valinor, Elendil and some other faithful Numenorians hung out in some ships off the coast of Numenor waiting for either a word from Amandil or news of Ar-Farazan's folly. Which means Elendil and company were literally sitting right there when a giant chasm opened up and swallowed Numenor. So they were like, what? Yeah, I can't go back home now. No, can't go back. No country for Numenor men. And so the gigantic waves resulting from this cataclysm actually flung Elendil's ship all the way to Middle-earth. So I have a map for you. Okay, hold on. Yes. Did Tolkien know how, like, tidal waves work? Okay, um, he wasn't, like, an oceanologist, so I'm gonna go ahead and say no. Do tidal waves fall under the category of Anglo-Saxon languages and culture? No. Then no, he didn't know it, Ryan. Is that a problem with you? I'm not judging him. I just... Well, I guess in Tolkien, you can always just say, It was a magical wave! I mean, like, what you would really expect is that it would create some giant, like, maelstrom, and they would all get, like, sucked down with the island. Right, yeah. Much as a lot of the people who were in the water got sucked down with the Titanic when it finally sank beneath the waves. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how it happens. But Tolkien, don't care. All right. Okay? It, in his mind, apparently, it was like when you drop a bowling ball into the water. And Swoosh! Whoop! And then, like, all the waves ripple outwards. And the waves, in this case, were really big because it was a giant island, and it pushed them all the way to Middle-earth. Yeah, and he figured that out while Christopher was taking a bath, and he dropped, as a young boy, and he dropped the bowling ball in there. And he goes, Daddy, my ducky has gone flung across the bath! And he goes, yes, I noticed. Just like what happened to Ellen Deal and the rest of the faithful. And he was like, Daddy, what are you talking about? You always say these strange names. I'm writing my books, Christopher. Get back into your bath. Now, I had an idea during the week, actually. Okay, what's your idea? So there's a trailer for the new movie, uh, Christopher Robin. Yes. I think you should make a movie called Christopher Tolkien. 
Where it's like... I think they should make a movie about Christopher Tolkien where it's, like, exactly the same, except instead of Winnie the Pooh, he's holding hands with, like... Hobbit characters. Hobbits. Yeah. That would be so cute. And walking through the forest. Yeah. And... Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like that, that That's, like, the way they could take the, the series. That's going to be the Amazon series. It's going to be, instead of Christopher Robin, it's going to be Christopher Tolkien. Yeah. But the rest of it is all the same. The rest is all the same. So it's, like, him with Hobbits, and they meet, like, a depressed talking donkey. Yeah. And then, yeah. like, a, a really anal retentive rabbit, and... No, he's an elf in this one. An anal retentive al- elf? Years. Do seem like they would be anal retentive, don't they? Obviously, Pooh is a hobbit. He eats yes. all the time. He's a fat little guy who lives in a hole. All right, so Piglet is what? I think Piglet is Gollum, actually. I was going to say Piglet should be Gollum. Piglet is Gollum. Okay, now the dwarf should definitely be Gopher. Oh, they dig, yeah. Surely. What about Tigger? Oh, Tigger's got to be Tom Bombadil or something, right? Oh, that's a good point. Like, hopping around and singing all the yeah. time. Nobody knows, like, what the hell's going on with him. Who is this guy? Where does he come from? He's the only one like him in this whole world. What the heck is he? He's a Tom Bombadil. Yeah. Like, he's a vaguely godlike figure. Much like Tigger. Much like Tigger. I think Eeyore might be the wizard. Which wizard? A wizard. Just a wizard. A sad wizard. Nobody no, knows what happened to them. I guess Owl would be the wizard. He's really smart. Yeah. Owl's yeah. Got, Owl's gotta be wizard. Eeyore is the is the odd man out here. Oh boy. We're trying well, he's, to... he's a horse. He's literally a horse. He's gonna be Shadowfax or something. But Sa- Shadowfax isn't, like, clinically depressed. Or Sam's pony. Okay, now Bill the Pony I could see as being clinically depressed. Okay, so Eeyore they and Bill. They took me all the way to Moria, and then they sent me away. Oh, bother. Of course this would happen to me. I think that's our setup. All right, I like it. So again, Pooh, Hobbit. Piglet, Gollum. Tigger, Bombadil. Rabbit, Elf. Gopher, Dwarf. Owl, Lizard. Eeyore, Pony. Christopher Robin, Christopher Tolkien. Kanga, Sauron. Oh, yes. Kanga is... No, no. no Kanga would be Morgoth, Morgoth and, and Rue would, would be Sauron. We got this. Sauron riding around in, in Morgoth's little pouch. I'll do fan art of this, guys. Don't worry. Okay, cool. I can't wait. That's can't nothing of our, of our Christopher Tolkien tangent about daddy's books. Let's continue. Now, that isn't actually what I wanted to talk about. I just wanted to show you this map. I feel like we got... We got... Woods. We did a pretty good job, though. Into the Hundred Acre Woods, that is. The- <laughs> Up yours. Okay, what we got? Okay, so this is... Uh, right here, this is Numenor. Yeah. Star-shaped island. Up here, this is uh, the Middle Earth that we know and love. That's Europe. That's... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I can split hairs, but... Yeah. yeah. By this island sinking, their ships got blown all the way up. Yeah. Joanna will upload this map. But picture, like, the edge of the fat part of Africa. Yes. Like, right by the equator, blown all the way up to, like, where England is. Yeah. Blown all the way up to... That's a good way of putting it. That's so a think, very good so way of putting it. So if you're looking at a real map, you don't have the, the Lord of the Rings map, or you just picture it in your mind. <laughs> I always like to listen to this podcast with the map of the real world. Well, you don't have the Middle Earth, but you always carry your convenient full-size globe with you everywhere. And you're like, well, you know, they say I should look at a map. Presumably, they mean a map of Little Earth, but probably any map will do. You know, my wow, map Wow, what of, a distance that is. My map of the Ottoman Empire in the 13th century. That should be fine. That's, that's good enough. Yeah. They landed in a place called Linden. Linden is in the northwest of Middle Earth, and Ellen Deal and his people landed there, and they're, like, lying on the beach crying manly tears for their destroyed homeland, when who should stumble upon them but Gilgalad, king of the elves! Gilgalad. Ooh, I like that name. Yeah, he was in, like, Lego the Hobbit. Oh, yeah! We played that game. Lego Lord of the Rings, one of those two. Yeah! yeah. He's, like, an unlockable character. Gilgalad was like... Hey, you guys okay? And Ellen Dew was like, not really. Our island just got swallowed by the sea. And Gilgalad was like, bro, that sucks. Oh, you need a friend. So the two became besties. 
And this is why Ellen Diolito fought against Sauron by Gilgalad's side in the Last Alliance of Elves and Men. Ellen Diol and the other Numenorean refugees needed a place to live. So Ellen Diol established a Numinus. The capital of the Dunedain in Middle-earth. Dunedain, by the way, is just another word for the people of Numenor. That's confusing, though. Why do they call them Numenorians? Numenorians. I think it's uh, it's the Numenorians who lived in Middle-earth. It's the Numenorians in exile? I guess it would be exile. I don't know if it counts as exile if, like, your homeland is literally wiped off the face of the planet. You're not, you have no country. You hear the word Dunedain a few times in Lord of the Rings, like in the extended edition of the Two Towers. I've, I've heard this word before. Yeah, Aowen calls Aragorn one of the Dunedain, right? Mm-hmm. The following year, Elendil's adult sons, Isildur and Anarion, reached the river Anduin and helped their daddy make two new kingdoms. So, the kingdom of Arnor in the north, and the kingdom of Gondor in the south. Ooh, I know that one. Yes, you do. Elendil took up rulership of Arnor and let his sons jointly rule Gondor. Okay. So let's talk about Arnor first, because that's probably the one you're least familiar with. I don't know this one. Yep. Arnor was bordered by the Misty Mountains in the east and the Blue Mountains in the west, which means it was like right smack dab where the Shire would be founded later. Oh, I see where this is going. So obviously this kingdom doesn't last. Yeah. There's your clue. Yeah. In Arnor, the Dunedain were actually a minority. There were already men there, and they weren't from Numenor, and they didn't speak word one of Adunaic. So people started using a new common tongue called Westron, which is the one with all like, the crazy Zs and the crazy Banazir Galbasi. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so that tongue had developed among traders who sailed up and down the river Anduin. Gondor, meanwhile, was, um, I mean, you know where Gondor was, right? Roughly. Mm, yeah. It was south of Rohan, north of the Bay of Belfast. Of course, everyone knows that. Yeah, centered around the ancient capital of Asgiliath, you know. Easy I'll show you a picture anyway. We learned all this stuff. We learned about 50 nifty United States. This is old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how the song went. Yeah. So centered around the ancient capital of Asgiliath. Now, Osgiliath is in the movie version of The Two Towers. Do you remember it? It's that place Faramir takes Frodo and Sam, where Frodo almost gives the ring to the Nazgul oh, riding yeah. the fell beast, and Sam rescues him by, like, pushing him down some stairs. Like the cat, where, like, there's a bunch of ruined castles and stuff. And yes, it's, like, exactly. It's, it's kind of kind of grody area. Yeah. So I know it looked kind of messed up in the movie, but keep in mind that was, like, thousands of years after its prime. Right. It had this sweet-ass dome called the Dome of the Stars, where the city kept its palantir, its seeing stone. Cool. And people there generally spoke Adunaic because it was mostly the Dunedain that lived there. About a hundred years after the founding of Arnor and Gondor, Isildur hauled ass across Middle-earth because he had news to tell his daddy. Okay. And it was some terrible news. Sauron had established himself in Mordor and had started attacking Gondor! Oh no. And in fact, Mordor had captured the city of Minas Ithil and renamed it Minas Morgul. What a bad neighbor. Which means the Tower of Dark Sorcery because Sauron didn't give a crap and just really leaned into the whole villain thing. Elendil is very alarmed by this news and decides to consult his bestie, the elven king Gilgalad. And Gilgalad's like, here's an idea. How about we make a last alliance of elves and men? And Elendil's like, yeah! Last alliance? They called it that? They called it a last alliance. 
but that that kind of has a finality to it, right? I know it sounds a bit defeatist. I, like we're not going to be friends in the future, so I might as well just like call. The yeah, either so. Okay, <laughs> I was reading it as like they fully expected to die in the battle against Sauron, but I guess you could also read it as like we're not going to be friends after this. This is going to tear us apart. Yeah, I can already tell. You should never travel with people you're close to. It's like going on a date. It's like, oh, this is our last date now. You know, I just know this, this is going to be the last call. Things aren't going well, and this was their last date. Aww. So they made this alliance, and they marched on Mordor, and they defeat Sauron twice. So once at the Black Gate, in what was called the Battle of Dagorlad, and once at the Tower of Baradur, in what was creatively called the Siege of Baradur. Okay. Do you remember Baradur? It was like mm-hmm. Sauron's tower, and he, in his little fiery eyeball form, was like hanging out on top of it. That's one of the, the titular two towers. It is one of the titular two towers. Very well done. The Siege of Baradur is what you see in the prologue of the Fellowship of the Ring, but what you don't see in that prologue is that this siege went on for seven years. That's a long siege. Yes. And in the sixth year, Sauron got kind of tetchy about being forced to stay indoors so long, so he chucked a big rock off the top of Baradur and it fell on Elendil's younger son, Anarion, and squashed him. <laughs> Cabin fever is a hell of a drug. Yeah, so bizarrely enough, that didn't cause Elendil to call off the siege. He's like, well, I still got another son. What's so. one son? What's one son? I mean, he was, the, yeah, he, was like, he was the crappier one anyway. I got the heir and I got the spare. You got the heir and I got the spare. Well, now the spare is jelly. So yeah. the next year... Sauron had a slightly better idea. He offered to decide the fate of Middle-earth by meeting Elendil in single combat. Duel. Duel. 1v1 me, bro. 1v1. Prison rules. So, Elendil was 322... Pounds? (laughs) Elendil was a solid 322 pounds heavyweight champion of the world, Elendil! In this corner! In this corner, weighing in at 20,000 pounds, the weight of evil, (laughs) we have... Sauron! So, no. Elendil was 322 years old by now, and Sauron was however many thousands of years old, but they were both still formidable warriors. Right. And Elendil had pretty much the most badass sword in all of Middle-earth, Narsil. Narsil. The shards of which would later be forged into Aragorn's sword. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. So Elendil, with an assist from Gilgalad, because apparently rules don't mean anything when you're engaged in single combat with the Dark Lord, fought Sauron and drove his evil spirit from his body. Cool attack team. Unfortunately, this was so exhausting that Elendil and Gilgalad both died immediately after. Oh, no. Just like, God, I'm tired. Oh, actually, I'm dying. Oh, that's terrible. And they died. They fell asleep forever. That's what they call death, Joanna. Yeah, it's falling asleep forever after fighting a Dark Lord in single combat. Is this the part at the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring where they cut his finger off? Yes. This is depicted a little bit differently in the movie. Right, so mm-hmm. in the movie, Elendil is killed. Isildur takes up his father's sword. Sauron stomps on it. Yeah. Isildur pulls it out. It's in fragments, but he still uses it to cut the ring off Sauron's finger. And then Sauron kind of implodes, which thought, is very cool. Effect. I thought it was a very good visual. I thought it was very poetic and visual. But you're saying it's not like this in the, in the Silmarillion? No, Isildur's rule in all this really was essentially to show up after Sauron's physical form was already dead, pick up the shattered remains of Narsil, and use it to cut the one ring off Sauron's finger after Sauron was already dead. To cut the finger off a ghost. Yes. To recap, Elendil is dead. Yeah. Anarion is dead. And Isildur, with the help of the one ring, is now the ruler of both Arnor and Gondor. 
for a big whopping two years. Then he what? gets ambushed by orcs, and he and three of his four sons are slain, and the One Ring ends up in a river, and Gollum finds it many, many years later. Okay, I see where this is going. So the ambush and slaughter of a seal door was known as the Disaster of Gladdenfield. I'll say. So if there's one thing you might have noticed throughout all this, it's that Numenorians, despite being extraordinarily long-lived, have this tendency to drop dead like all the time. Well, they're men, right? They, they got short lifespans. Well, yes, but, you know, elves are also technically able to die by being killed. Well, if you've learned anything... And they don't... Yes. It's that elves have critical thinking skills and men do not. No. Okay, I think that like, fairly sums it up. Yeah. A bit racist, but... Yeah. Is it really racist if it's true? I'll, I'll, I'm just asking. All just stereotypes are based devil's, on truth, Joanna. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Is it really serious if it's... I mean... I'm not being mean. I'm just being honest. Show me evidence that that's not the case. No, not that evidence. No, not that evidence either. Show me evidence that's convincing to Real me. evidence. Show Have I the- wasted enough of your time with sea lining? Okay, I win the argument. All right, so... At this point, the only members of Elendil's line left are Isildur's 13-year-old son, Valendil... And an Aryan son, Meneldil. So Valendil becomes the ruler of Arnor, and Meneldil becomes the ruler of Gondor. And I know this is a lot of deal names here. What's the deal with all the deals? What's the deal? What's the deal? The Middle Earth. What's the deal with all these deal Everybody's names? Everybody's called deal. Every other person's called deal. I was very confused. Very confusing. But Valendil and Meneldil aren't actually that important in the grand scheme of things. You can probably just forget their names if you want. I won't Gone. tell anyone. Gone. Gone. The deals. Now, in Arnor, the line of kings continued for a few more generations until the tenth and last king of Arnor died. And at that point, each of the king's three sons wanted a piece of Arnor, so they split it up into three kingdoms. Arthodyne, Cardilan, and Rudar. Again, not super important that you remember the names. The only thing you need to know about these three kingdoms is that the last one, Rudar, eventually became a client state of the Witch King of Angmar, a.k.a. boss of the Nazgul. That's cool. Yeah, real cool. So the other two kingdoms, Arthodine and Cardolan, joined forces to defeat this threat and got their asses handed to them. So Rudar persisted as a political entity for a little while after that, but the kingdom of Arnor pretty much faded away at that point. Would you say that they got witch-slapped? They got witch-slapped into oblivion. Very good. Oblivion? Oblivion, I think is the word. In Gondor, there are a few events we should note. So first, Osgiliath was struck by the plague and pretty much stopped being the capital after that. The primary city in Gondor became Minas Anor, or as it was renamed, Minas Tirith. Mm-hmm. Second, sometime in the Third Age, the king of Gondor was captured and taken to Minas Morgul, so the steward had to take over. Steward is like a second-in-command to a king. And this steward pledged that he and his descendants would rule, quote, until the king comes back, which the king never did, probably because his ass was dead. So instead of having hereditary success, through a line of kings, Gondor ended up with hereditary succession through a line of stewards. That's why Denethor... Is a steward of Gondor. Yes! Boromir's father in the Lord of the Rings is a steward rather than a king. That's also why he doesn't get to sit on the throne in Minas Tirith. He just sits in a smaller chair at the foot of the throne. Interesting. Well, also because he sucks and he's an a-hole, but... Well, that's not the reason they put him in a little chair. He has, like, really gross table manners. I would put you in a little chair. Was that a Tolkien invention, you... too? Denethor ate really badly. <laughs> Denethor ate like a GD animal. There we go. That pretty much brings you up to speed on the men up to Lord of the Rings times. However, 
There's one more group of men I should mention. After Arnor faded away, more specifically after the kingdom of Arthodyne was destroyed, the descendants of Isildur took to the wilderness and became very skilled in hunting, fishing, trapping, all kinds of man stuff. Outdoor sports. And these men became known as rangers, the most famous among them being Strider, a.k.a. Aragorn. Cool. And we'll talk more about Aragorn soon. All right, neat. Yeah. So next week's episode is going to be about Aragorn. There'll be less names to remember that I don't actually need. Um, As long as you can remember the name Aragorn, you're probably fine. Shoot, I gotta keep that in my head. I have to check my flash card before next time. What flash card? <laughs> I love the idea that you have one card. It just, just says... Aragorn. Aragorn flip it over and There's like, not even anything on the other side. It just says Aragorn. Aragorn. That's yeah. what you have to do sometimes. I'll, I'll Tolkien just, is complex. I'll memorize my flashcard. Okay, cool. All right. Thanks, honey. Yeah, what you got for me? Well, Impress as you know, me. right now we are knee deep in March. And you know, if you're anything like me, it's that time for that big sport event. The March Madness, baby! Mar- oh, baby! Now, now darling, it's, it's actually April. That's how deep we are into March, Joanna. It is so deep in March. We're in April now. And it's that all, is deep. The the big man is downtown. Big man has the rocks. He's going all the way. Boom shakalaka. He's on fire. March Madness. You played a lot of NBA games when you were a kid. I did. Yeah. NBA Jam is a really good game. But that's not what I'm talking about. Because the you know, last time we, you talked a little bit about how you and your mom watched A New Hope. We did. And yeah, I asked you, what do you want to know about? And you, one of the things you mentioned was the, all the weird aliens in the cantina. Yeah, I did. I did. There's so many people in that cantina. It's a very full place. So I decided that to kind of make it more interesting, I would do a March Madness bracket for the denizens of the cantina. Oh, boy! And an event calling Most Isley Madness! Now, it's not a very big bracket. There's eight. But we're going to go through the quarters and the semis today, and then we'll know who's going to go into the finals next week. Oh, my God. This is going to be a two-parter? Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing half the bracket today, half the bracket next week. So we're going to get our two first sets of our competitors here, our big teams. Now, these guys are they're coming in with a lot of fire, a lot of, a lot of passion, but only one can stand supreme. So I need your help deciding who, okay? Okay. In the first bracket, Momo Nadon versus Muftak and Cabe. So first off, Mo- Moma Nadon, when that comes to mind, what do you picture? Okay, so it like reminds me of a combination of the Museum of Modern Art in New York and those weird people who have their grandchildren call them Mima. Does it remind you of this? No, it doesn't. You okay. know this guy? Yes, I definitely know that guy. He stood out to me when I was watching the movie with my mom. I'm showing this character. The person I'm describing is the guy who's nicknamed Hammerhead. Yeah, he has like a weird flat head that kind of like... Bends at a 90 degree angle going forward and then bends at a 90 degree angle going up. You got it. He's a, a species called an Ithorian. They don't like being called hammerheads because it's really offensive. It's really racist. Well, it's okay. Like the, it's like, it's like, yeah. Then maybe they shouldn't look like their heads got hit with a hammer. Racist, Joanna. Yeah. I but said that. He's an agriculturalist on his planet. The agriculture being an important part of their culture. They grow many plants that only grow on their planet. It's like a rainforest kind of place. And they like to sing because they have actually four throats and two mouths. Oh my god, is that why their heads are shaped that way? Yeah, there's two mouths on each side of his head. Why would they need that? I don't know. Evolutionarily speaking, is it so like they could trash talk like one person they're with and the other person can hear and then they could like trash talk the other person on their other side? Oh, they're peaceful. I think the guy just farted. He smells like he just farted. He's like, Dude, okay, that guy over there? Yeah, 
Um, he he's saying you farted. You are you gonna take that? Joanna, no, they're peaceful. They won't do that. Okay. But they can make a concussive scream with their two mouths. God, why do they need that to ward against predators or something? I don't know. They also are. Uh, they can speak in stereo. Wow, cool. So it's like two voices at once. How cool I bet is they that? can sing like angels. I bet they do. So Momo Nadon, our angel, he was once a high priest on the planet Ithor. High priest? How do you end up in Mos Eisley? That's not well, a that's the story place. we have to tell today. The newly formed empire came to Ithor demanding that he give them the secrets of their Ithorian agriculture. Because there's plants on that planet that only grow there. Mm-hmm. And Momo, so he's threatened by the newly formed empire. They said, give us your plant secrets or we'll laser your entire rainforest. Jeez! And he's like, no, not my plant secrets. And so he did. <gasps> he gave up the secrets he loved the trees too much. And he saved his whole planet's bacon. But the people didn't know that. All they knew is that now the Empire had the Ithorian agricultural secrets, so they banished him from their planet. Oh, no! He was exiled, so he settled on Tatooine. He's like, you told him our potato recipe! Get out! Get out! Now, he had much more cool things than potatoes, because he came to Tatooine, and he kept growing his plants, including a tree called the Baffor tree, okay. which is a tree that only grew on Ithor. It was a crystalline tree, and they were special that in groups of them, they could attain sentience. What? Yeah, we're talking, like, again, this is like Star Wars equals Lord of the Rings. We got Ents up in here. Oh, my God. But there had to be groups of them. Ents didn't need groups. Ents would just do it on their own. Well, listen, well, listen. I mean, because they were just born sentient. Well, listen. Seven trees could achieve a fully collective sentience capable of telepathy. Oh. Whereas a whole forest was said to be wiser than any beings known to the Ithorians. Holy crap. So, yeah. Holy crap, Lois. Holy crap, Lois. So you think about, like, you know, maybe an ent is just seven Baffor trees stuck together, you know? It could be. It could be. So around the time of A New Hope, an Imperial officer named Alima threatened to kill all of Moma's freshly grown Baffor trees if he didn't help him find this little pesky blue droid that was missing. God, can they just, like, stop threatening to kill all these trees? That's, like, the only threat they can think of. They thought he was kind of weak. They could threaten him to do stuff. And well, so I mean, like, it worked the first time, so... this pesky little astromech droid. It's got secret plans on it. We need it back. Yeah. You know who we're talking about? Um, R2. Yeah, R2-D2. R2-D2. So Mama was a pacifist, and so he allowed Obi-Wan to leave with R2-D2. Yes. Against the Imperials' orders. And when questioned, Moma told him that, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't find him. He left a few days before the Millennium Falcon left. So he wouldn't track the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. So as a result, the officer, yeah. Alima, yeah. was executed. Oh, snap! So Moma felt really guilty about this. And so he obeyed the Ithorian law of life. And he collected some cells from Alima's body. <laughs> and he made two clones of him. Wait, 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 wait. So the law of life. So yeah. the law of life in their planet is that if somebody dies, you have to collect cells and bioengineer two clones of them. No, no, no. So the I feel law. Like that's going to lead to a lot of overpopulation. No, nah, I'm not going to get into it too much. But the law of life is kind of the conservation of life. If a life is lost through a senseless means, they are held to replace that life with another. And two, so, apparently. Well, probably not as literal as Moma Nadon took it, but he made two clones. The one was so that Alima could pay his debt to the Ithorians. Yes. And the other so that Moma could pay his debt to Alima. Oh. It's very poetic, this guy. But these these clones were, like, raised as children. So were they raised up knowing, like, hey, you know, like, FYI, you only exist to pay off a debt. I don't know the whole story, but I imagine that, like... He, like, you're just a baby now, but as you get older, you're going to have to pay off a debt. I bet Momo Nadon was very nice to these kids. I think I think he probably treated them with kindness and taught them his, his agricultural knowledge. And, you know, I bet they helped them in the greenhouse. I bet it was very nice. So later on, though, the Ithorians 
finally discovered the truth of Moma Nadon's betrayal and like what it meant. And they said, oh, oh Moma, I'm so sorry. And they brought him back to their planet. His exile was ended. Oh. And he lived out his life feeling guilty and accounting for his mistakes. Oh my god, that's how I live my life too. Yeah. Oh, I really feel for this guy. But later on during the Yuzan Vong War, which we talked about in the Solo Kids episode, he was the leader of his people. Good for him. Yeah, he was the highest priest. So good on you, Hammerhead. All right. Don't yeah. call him that. That's racist. Sorry, sorry, Momo. So that's our first bracket contenders. Momo, Nadon! Against him is Muftak and Cabe. Muftak and Cabe. Now, this is a gruesome twosome. I put them both together because all their stories involve them together. Muftak and Cabe. I'm going to show you a picture of Muftak and Cabe's action figures. Whoa! I do know that guy. Oh my god, another little bat face guy. Yeah, we talked about Chatter fans a little bit in our one of our Jedi Prince episodes. And Cabe is that. My mom noticed... Uh... That guy. Yeah, she, he, they grab a drink at the bar and they drink it. Yeah, she's Great. like, that guy's face is a bat. Yep, and their best friend is this big furry, four-eyed spider guy. He's called, like an owl bear guy. Yeah, his name is Muftek, and the little one's called Cabe. And they are a gruesome twosome. So again, Chatter fans, we talk about them. They come from the dairy capital of the galaxy, covered yes. by hurricanes of cow farts. Yes. And Atals are these furry insectoid creatures from the ice planet the Third. Four eyes, a big proboscis, big claws, but they're big softies. I'm getting kind of like a master blaster. That's exactly what we're talking sort about of here. Sort of feel from them. So Muftak, our furry friend, he was abandoned on the steps of Docking Bay 12 at the most Isley spaceport. Who would do that? I know, it's a little cutie. So as he grew up, he didn't even know what species he was, because Tals rarely went out into the galaxy. And so in time, he became an adult and learned from the School of Hard Knocks on the street. Ooh, just me, like me. Yeah. At that time, Cabe was also abandoned at this most Isley spaceport by slavers who thought she was too small to be useful. Is this like a thing, abandoning people? Is that how people can abandon their babies at like a fire yeah. station? Yeah, basically at the spaceport. Okay. So little baby Cabe was adopted by Muftek as his adopted daughter. Aww, that's so cute. He didn't want anyone else to grow up lonely like he did. Oh my god, this is a really heartwarming story. And he taught her the ways of the streets. And so they lived together in the tunnels below Docking Bay 83, and they were known as a pair of sneak thieves. Because Muftak was the muscle, and Cave was the brains. So Cave was a skilled pickpocket, but had a sweet spot for jury juice. It's this alcoholic drink. You see, that's what she orders at the cantina. Okay. And Muftak would often have to carry her home after she drank too much. Oh, my little alcoholic daughter. So one day, it came upon them their biggest job yet. They were going to rob Jabba the Hutt's mansion. Holy cow, this is like some Ocean's Eleven shit. It is. But it's so like only oceans too. They snuck in. One of the things they came across was a rebel operative being tortured by a nerve disruptor. Ooh. And so Cape freed him and gave him a data chip and told them if you give it to a Mon Calamari, I know, you can earn some Mondo credits. As they made their way out the hallway, they were discovered by guards, and a big blaster fight erupted. And Muftak said, Go on, Cape! I'll take care of him for you. And Cave ran away, but then she's like, no, I can't leave my dad. My adopted daddy, I gotta go back. So she she ran back in, leaving her treasure behind that she stole <gasps> to save her dad. And Cave's small heart grew three sizes that day. But Cave and Muftak both escaped. They didn't have their treasure, but they had the data chip. They gave it to the Mon Calamari they're supposed to talk to, and they were giving 15,000 credits, along with several letters of transit signed by Grandma Tarkin himself. Grandma! So they had some some travel documents... So the criminal record would not be a problem. They could just get off off world. And so decided to start with Muftak's home planet, which he'd never been to before. Oh my god. So he went to Alzok the Third, they traveled there. Cabe took him to the Chadrafan home planet of Chad. And after all this, Muftak wrote his memoirs called Sands in Winter. 
telling his story. That's so poetic. Oh my yeah. god. Especially for an un, you know, a guy with no formal education. So that's our first bracket. We got Momonadon versus Muftek and Cave. So we got the Ithorian agriculturalist with his Baffor trees. Yes. We got Muftek and Cave, the gruesome twosome. Yes. Who do you think's coming out on top? Muftek and Cave. Because Mima is a pacifist. Yes. He's not gonna fight. That's true. They're gonna rob him blind, but he does have Baffor trees that have telepathy. Yes, he does have that. That is true. But I think ultimately he's a pacifist. He's outnumbered. And Muftek and Cave could do the Master Blaster thing. They run Barter Town. Okay, now do you, going do you think they would obey the Ithorian law of life and make a clone of of, uh, of Moma? Well, they're not Ithorians. They wouldn't. So they probably wouldn't. I hope they bury him below the Ithor tree. So Muftek and Cave is one of our first brackets. Yes. On to our next bracket here. We have actually have an, another pair, but we're picking, putting them against each other because they're both such big characters. Ooh. We got Dr. Evazon and Panda Baba. Yeah, big characters. Do you know these guys? Uh, Panda Baba is a name I know. They look like this. Whoa. Now, these are guys who have dialogue in A New Hope. How do you speak when your mouth is balls? Joanna. Ryan, I, I surely cannot be the first one to make that comment. So, Dr. Evazon is the ugly guy who doesn't like Luke's face. Yes. Who has the death sentence on 12 systems. Right. And his goon is Panda Babu who gets his arm cut off by Obi-Wan. Panda Baba! And they're also Panda in Rogue Baba. One, weirdly enough, in the in that, in the the city of Jeddah. If you remember, like, really? the, on that desert planet, they're going through the city and, like, Dr. Evazon and Panda Baba are there. Of all cameos! Right before the city gets blown up, so that means they would have had to, like... Get off world mad quick to get to the most size of the cantina. I guess they did. Yeah. I guess right before it blew up, they're like, God, you know what? Like, let's go get a drink. Yeah, I guess so. So that was weird. Like, but well, I'm glad we decided to do that. It was a fun cameo, but I thought about it and it was like, that doesn't, that's stupid. I, I guarantee know. you were one of like maybe 50 people in this entire world that thought about that. Yes. Yeah, so let's tell you about Dr. Evazon. He's nicknamed Dr. Death and is described on Wikipedia as a human male outlaw and sociopath. Okay. He considered himself a surgeon, but often maimed or killed his quote-unquote patients. Jeez. Well, you know. He's a back alley doctor. Sociopaths are overrepresented among doctors and yeah. also among um, CEOs. Yeah, so Dr. Evazon, CEO, is definitely one of those. That's why he's got the death sentence on 12 systems, because he killed so many people. God. But okay, but he didn't He didn't kill them in bar fights. He killed, like, helpless patients on the surgery trusting table. him. Yeah. So Crime. his boast is a little bit... I don't know. As a young man, he applied for the Imperial Academy, but they rejected him because he was too crazy. Too Who's crazy. In the membrane? You're too crazy to go to our Imperial Medical School. So instead, he went I off. Love how they, <laughs> they did like his interview, whatever, yeah. you know? Like, That's exactly what happened. And, this just was like, and they just wrote down on the form, like, too crazy. This guy's bonkers. So he, went, made, he said, fine, I'll take my ball and go home. I'll make my own back alley clinic. And so he did that until he got caught. Then he went to another planet, started a clinic there. He got, got caught and went to another planet, started a clinic there, got caught. So he basically was planet hopping these back alley clinics. And he's not like a proper doctor, actually. No, 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 no medical like, degree. no accreditation. He's a medical student. Um, his goal in all these clinics was to find the secret of immortality through super questionable experiments. As a real, I would argue if you're looking for the secret to immortality, it's probably all questionable experiments. Yeah, I know you're a real big fan of Reanimator and I love Craft. Reanimator. And the more I read his article, it's he's a real Herbert West type, and you're gonna is he? Yeah. Do you think that was the inspiration? Absolutely. You're gonna find out more as I go on. Okay. Here. So at the time of New Hope, Evazon operated uh, a clinic called the Cutting Edge Clinic in Mos Eisley with his partner, the Aquilish Thug Panda Baba. Yes. Who is our, our walrus man, as they called him in the script. Walrus who gets his arm cut off. Mm, Joanna, or leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it. Balls. Shut up. He became acquainted with Dr. Evazon after Panda Baba saved him from a bounty hunter. And at first, Baba wanted to turn him in for the bounty on his head. 
But then Evazan was like, hey, man, smuggle spice with me. A lot more money in that. He's like, okay. And so he decided to join him in his, in his criminal acts. One day at the cantina, Bob and Evazan got way drunk and started mouthing off to some moisture farmer kid who's getting too close to them. Then this old man whipped out a laser sword and cut off Bob's arm. Not cool. Not cool, man. Not cool at all. But what I like about it, what my mom and I noticed, is like nobody in the bar cares. No, it's like, oh, jeez. Nobody in the bar cares. Um, Greedo literally gets murdered. Nobody in the bar cares about that. Well, the bartender's like, no blasters, no blasters. So thankfully, Obi-Wan has a laser sword, so it's yeah, fine. Yeah, no blasters, but murder's apparently fine. He didn't die. He didn't. Uh, oh, he didn't. Panda Baba did not die. Uh, Dr. Evazan tried to reattach his arm, but it didn't work because he was using shady back alley medicine, and Baba almost died in the process. Oh, my God. And so Panda Baba vowed revenge on Dr. Evazan and left his service, going off to, like, find a new oh, arm. Oh, so they did have a fall. They had a breakup. Yeah, Yikes. they broke up. But he must have gotten over it because not long after that, they reunited and set up an operation in an abandoned castle on the Aqualish <laughs> homeworld. Evazan created what he called a mind transference machine, which he saw as a step toward immortality. So basically, it sounds what it sounds like. Yeah. You could transfer your mind into another body. And so he tested it out on his old buddy, Panda Baba. <laughs> oh my god, he's the worst friend! He transferred Panda Baba's mind into an Aqualish senator who was lured to the castle, who had both of his arms. Strangely enough, the operation worked, but the senator, whose mind was now in Panda Baba's one-armed body, freaked out and exploded himself with a thermal detonator. Oh my god! <laughs> He was very upset about this. So again, Baba vowed revenge on Evazan. <laughs> Baba, when are you going to learn? And now he has both arms and a new body, but revenge. Eventually, Evazan joined a secret Imperial group called Project Starscream, like the Transformers. Wow, cool. I should be the leader of the Decepticons. Megatron knows nothing. Their goal was to reanimate dead tissue. Evazan was able to come up with a reanimation reagent, which worked best on freshly dead tissue. Ooh, hmm. interesting. This is very familiar. And in the end, he was supposedly killed by a reanimated army of his own making. Hmm. Rumors persisted of him still kicking around the galaxy as late as 9 ABY. And Panda Baba never got his revenge, but he still was in the underworld of the galaxy trying to figure out ways to get revenge on his old bud. In that bracket, Dr. Evazan versus Panda Baba, who's coming out on top? Dr. Evazan. Yeah. Because Panda Baba is, like, clearly easy to trick. Yeah, he's kind of a fool, right? He, he got screwed twice, vowed revenge both times, got revenge neither of those times. Yep. He clearly is kind of, like, an ineffectual creature, Plus, his face looks like... Don't say it. So you think Dr. Evazan... Is going to kill Panababa for sure. All right. So going on to the semifinals, we have Muftak and Cape versus Dr. Evazan. Who do you think is going to win this matchup? We got the Gruesome Twosome, the Thieves of Mos Eisley, a uh, uh, heartwarming duo of, of, of sneak thieves versus Dr. Evazan, the human male outlaw and sociopath of the Death Sentence on 12 Systems who's going out on Muftak top. Muftak and Cave are definitely going to win because Dr. Evazan... Here's the thing. Dr. Evazan is good at, like... Killing and, and mutilating people when they're on his operating table. This is true. He can't if get he both of them on the table at once. He can't get both of them on the table at once. And if he can't trick you to get on his table, then he's useless. So how do you think they're going to do it? Are they going to like, like maybe Cave goes in for surgery and then Muftek chokes yeah, him out? Yeah, I think Cave's going to come in and be like, oh, you know, like I've got like fractured ulna or whatever. I drank too much jerry juice. juice. pump my stomach. And so Dr. Evazan is like, oh my God, okay, we have to do surgery right away. And he's fully intending to like... 
I don't know. Transfer like, a body into something. Put, put her hand on backwards or something right. like that. Just to see what he can for do. For the first time ever. <laughs> and then Muftek comes in and he's like, uh-uh. And he snaps Dr. Evazan's neck and that's it. All right. So going on to the final round. Muftek and Cabe are gruesome twosome. So that's going to be the first set of our most Isley Madness bracket. I'll upload the bracket to our podcast notes. That's what I got this week. Wow. Next week we'll have a new bracket. We will decide who's coming out on top of the most Isley Madness tournament. This is exciting. Yeah. I'm like legit invested. Okay. Now, okay, so who, where are all these stories written down? In novelizations? These are mostly from a book of short stories called Tales from the Most Isley uh, Cantina. That I was told in high school that that was essential. It's really not, Joanna. If you're a Star Wars fan, it's essential. Well, it's if, like Scarface. It's essential. If you think that giving a two-second screen time character a huge backstory about their trials and tribulations and how they helped actually save the rebellion and, you know, trounce the empire and blah, 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 then it's essential. I actually do think that's kind of interesting, though. It is fun. I think the stories I picked, I picked and chose. I picked the ones that were good and interesting. Because there are a lot of stories in that book. Not all of them are winners. Gotcha. And there are going to be some very obvious omissions in yes. this tournament that you will, you will you will see by the end. I'll explain my reasoning at the end of this tournament. Okay, what about Unidentified Goldskin Man? He is not in this tournament. Oh my god, what, his backstory wasn't interesting enough? He doesn't have one. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? <laughs> no backstory. But... Unidentified Goldskin Man is so inconsequential that he doesn't get a story. I think he's like the, he's, I think he's like one of the commentators on the bracket. I think he's like, maybe like... He's a, the MC. He's like a side, he's kind of like one of the experts to bring in and talk about like, you know, he was really bringing his A-game tonight. Like, I've seen a lot of play of this kid over the years and like, Muftak and Cave, they were really like, bringing their A-game. Yeah, know? so he's like, he's like a talking head. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Alright, cool. I, I'm, I'm picking Picturing that. Okay. Well, that's awesome, Ryan. Yep. So then next week you're going to finish that up. Yep. We'll see who's going to be the, the king or queen or champion of Mos Eisley. All right. Well, so far I am really favoring Muftek and... Muftek and Cabe? Muftek and Cabe. You're going to have some hard picks next time, but we'll see. All right. Awesome. Well, you can find us online at our relatively brand, relatively new, relatively spanking website, www. Wait, that's too many W's. We're all- Wobbly World Wide Web. <laughs> Everything's wibbly and wobbly. <laughs> what's lightsabersbrushes.com? Um, don't put an apostrophe in what's. Website addresses don't work that way. If you do that, you're really dumb. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search What's Lightsabers Precious. We will pop up. You can also email us at whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com. Yes. And we're on SoundCloud. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. If you like us, write us up. Tell us what we're doing good. Tell us what we're doing. Don't tell us what we're doing bad. You know, tell a friend. You say, hey, friend. You're a phone nerd. Phone a friend. Phone him up. Hey, They'll friend. will be like, hey, why are you phoning me? Nobody uses phone calls anymore. I thought that you were dying or like you needed a kidney or something. And I, you'll be like, no, actually, I just have to tell you about this podcast. I thought you were wanted to ask me a question on who wants to be a millionaire, but no, you're just telling me about a podcast and you're like, yes, friend, greetings. I am a hobwalk and you can be one too. And then they'll listen and I'll be like, I too am now an EBIT. Oh my goodness, you infected me. Yes. So please do that. Another thing I should tell you is that I am on the forthcoming episode of Vertiguys. Oh, you are? You will be amazed. I was so well-behaved on their show. Yeah. I didn't talk out of turn. I didn't interrupt. I did say F-words, but you're allowed to say that on their show. Sorry. They let me say as many F-words as I wanted. I'm going back to Vertigo's. So did you get to talk to Neil Gaiman? 
I did not get to talk about Neil Gaiman. But... Oh my god, there's a portal opening! Oh my god! Oh, what? Oh, wait, you're in our house? Hey, I'm here again. It's me, Neil Gaiman. Can't you find a less dramatic way and less destructive way of entering our domicile? That's just my skewed perspective. It's how I get about. Wow, you really came here on a wormhole made of perspective. I truly did. You look inside of it. It's non-Euclidean, isn't it? I, in it? I, what listen, are you doing here? Just to tell you to listen to Joanna's episode of Vertigais. Am I too late? Ah, uh, well, you, I mean, kind of. We're, we're kind of trying to wrap things up, but yeah, you can squeeze it in if you want. I'm sorry I was delayed. I was stopped by a man on the street. Oh, what sort of man on the street? Well, I thought it was a man, and when I turned around, he had a head made of candle wax with a flame lit atop it, and I bumped into him, and he asked for a favor in return, and so I gave him one of my fondest childhood memories. What, what memory is that? I don't remember. I think it may have been for one of my childhood birthday parties, because I remember being excited about it, and then I remember throwing up at the arcade. And so I think he took out the happy middle part. And he just left the throwing up part. Yes. Oh, that's, you know, what you get for talking to somebody made of candle wax. That's why I'm delayed. I'm sorry. Perhaps I can make it up to you. Uh, write, write a story and put me in it. It's already done. What? Yes. Neil Gaiman, you move in mysterious ways. In my infinite dimension, I can make any story that pops into my mind. And I was thinking about you on the podcast, and so I wrote a story called Joanna Goes on a Podcast. And it came true! And it came true. Neil Gaiman, your words have been made manifest! You're living my story. Oh my god, it's not, like, a very interesting story. I thought it was. This is the end of it. Oh. Should I change it? Should I go back and change the story? I'm just saying, there's not it much rising the... action, there's not much climax. If I change the story, it'll change change the course of history. You understand? You may have never been on the podcast at all. You may have made oh, a difference. Oh, no, I'm not willing to gamble with that. You better just leave the story as it is. Very well. The ink is already dry. I should be going now. All right. I move in mysterious ways. I'll see you again the next time that you're on the Vertigais podcast. Oh, all right, cool. Um, maybe a little warning before you just open up a, a rift in space-time in yes. our apartment? and I threw your husband into it. I'll pull him out before I leave. Why do you keep doing that? There can only be one male in the room at a time. Well, I've got two male cats in here. Oh, really? Yes. I'll throw them if in If you throw time. them in there, I swear to God, Neil Gaiman, I will wring your neck. Please don't do that. Please don't throw my cats into a rift in space-time. Can they speak? No. Why would they be able to... They're no use to me, then. I'll see you later. Goodbye. All right, bye, Neil. <laughs> Boy, that guy takes liberties. My God, it's full of stars. <laughs> he takes some liberties, that one. He took some liberties with my life. Boy, oh boy, yeah, that. look at that. Look at that thousand light-year stare you got going on. I've seen the beyond the horizon of space-time. And are you still willing to, uh, you know, do a podcast now that you've grasp the grand cosmic totality? Yeah, I think I'm good for it. Okay, cool. All right, we'll see you next week, guys. Thanks for listening. All right, bye! Bye!